Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. How do you feel about guys named Joe and crypto? What about innovative microtransactions and business models for using crypto technologies? On this podcast, I have Joe DePinto. He was born and raised in Los Angeles after spending four years playing professional baseball for the Chicago White Sox farm system. He co-founded his first venture bar play in 2015 with Daniel Wagner. In 2021, him and Daniel co-founded Haste, the world's first instant leaderboard payout arcade. DePinto's vision for Haste is to have a platform serve as a fun and entertaining visual representation of microtransactions and how they can empower new business models. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Joe. Thanks, hey, Joe. Man. How's it hey, going? Good, man. Good, good, good. I'm uh, excited to have you on, man. It's, uh, it's a really good use case for crypto technologies and microtransactions, you know, business models. I think people are trying to find creative ways to get paid online these days. And so I'm excited to, to learn about, you know, what you have here as Haste and, and how you came about with it. Well, I, I love talking about it. Micropayments is kind of what got me excited about Bitcoin uh, back mm -hmm. in 2014, 2015, when I first started learning about it. And yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, I think that's where we're going with a lot of these things, these kind of gig economies, these systems. So you have uh, Lyft and Uber or, you know, whatever it might be. And I think these little micro payout systems where people are like, hey, I don't want to have a normal job. What could I do to kind of get paid some cash that it doesn't isn't the typical nine to five? And I don't want to spend, you know, three hours driving in traffic, moving three miles in L.A., you know, to get to where I want to go. Um, so um, these these microtransactions and these, these payout systems, can you talk to me a little bit about you said you like talking about like, how did you get started with it? How did you you said you, you, you were at you had bar pay and then you switched to this. What what caused that to happen? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right in the sense of that, you know, you have all this this gig economy, these people, you know, trying to monetize on their own, but having to spend serious time commitments to do that, like the three hours of driving Uber. And that's where I think, you know, micropayments in general can allow people to make money for things they're already doing. So the same way that Uber, right, if you have a car, you can now monetize your car. It does that, but on a much smaller scale for much more simple things. So to, to answer your question, how we, we got around to the Haste Arcade, like you said, uh, I, I played baseball after college. I was in the, the farm system for the Chicago White Sox. I met my business partner, Daniel Wagner. He was also in the minor leagues. And we basically, we were roommates and just kind of had like the same ideas in terms of after baseball was over, what did we want to do with life? Neither of us really wanted to, to stay in baseball. We didn't think that, you know, if you don't make it to the big leagues, it's not really the lifestyle that either of us really saw ourselves living. And, you know, in that minor league lifestyle, you're typically finishing your games around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. You've got 45 minutes to an hour to get food after the game and then get back to the hotel before curfew. And if you don't make it back in time for curfew, you either get fined or you don't get to play the next day, something like that. So, you know, in these smaller towns, usually around 11 o'clock at night, the only things that are open are, are bars or, you know, taverns and whatnot. And some of these towns are college towns. So it's like really busy environment. And we kept having like the same problems where it's like every time we would go out, you know, it would take us 10 minutes or 15 minutes to, to get our check just to leave. Like we're not even there to party or it would take 10 minutes to get an order in because the bar is super busy. And we're just like, man, you know, this is causing us to miss curfew. 
we forget our credit card sometimes. And the next day it's like, oh, I'm in, you know, Lexington now. Yesterday I was in Birmingham. So now I have no access to money because I don't have my credit card. It's at the bar I was at last night. It's just like all these frustrations kept adding up to the point where, you know, we're just like, there, there's got to be a way to, to solve this problem. And that was the time that was about 2014 when, you know, people were developing apps for everything. I think like Uber was just becoming sort of mainstream. It'd been around for a while, but no one had really heard of it yet. Uh, and, and, you know, we were crazy enough to think like, oh, well, we can just create an app where you can order and pay for your food and drinks. And, you know, you'll never have to give a credit card over. So we both, our careers ended that year. Um, I got released mid-season in 2014. I think Dan, at the end of the 2014 season, they didn't renew his contract. Uh, he was He's from North Carolina, Charlotte area. I'm obviously from Los Angeles, but we just kept in touch. We kept bouncing the ideas off each other. But the, the idea of ordering and paying for your food and drinks from your phone just, just kept sticking. So it got to the point where we decided, you know what, we think we could probably raise some money from friends and family get this developed and you know in less than a year we'll be billionaires we'll have yachts like it'll be sweet obviously we're probably a little bit naive on on that but um i had a, a bar owner friend from usc where i went to school who owns like there's only one bar there or at least there was when i went it's like this legendary been around for 60 years type deal called the 901 bar and grill and the owner i got to know pretty well through my time there so basically took this idea to him he you know tore it apart said this is what's wrong with it blah 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 but if you can fix these problems That'd be something I'm interested in. And one of his biggest issues was credit card processing rates. And so this is how we started down the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole, if you will. So, you know, researching credit card processing rates, learning about interchange rates and why, you know, when you go to a gas station, for example, if you buy something that's less than $5, they charge an extra 50 cents. Well, that is because they're having to pay an interchange rate that has a fixed cost of anywhere from 20 to, to 30 cents on it. So that's a big percentage, right? If you're buying a candy bar and 15% of that sale is going to the credit card rate, it's not a very efficient way to process payments. So all of a sudden, you know, in our research of this stuff, uh, this thing called Bitcoin makes its head known. And the, the promise, at least back then, was Bitcoin could be sent extremely fast. So basically instant transactions for fractions of a cent. And we're looking at this and it's just like, wow, a credit card takes 24 to 48 hours for the funds to actually show up in the merchant's account and it's going to cost them you know an average digital payment the the cost is just a flat 2.9 percent and 30 cents on that transaction if we could figure out a way to to get this bitcoin thing into bar pay we could really like undercut the entire processing industry so we never actually got around to doing that with bar pay um but it was it, it got us in the bitcoin mindset and down the bitcoin rabbit hole reading the white paper learning about wow what else can you do with this technology What's this thing called micropayments? People are able to spend less than, you know, 10 cents online. That's just, that's, that's not possible because of credit card processing rates. But now all of a sudden you have this new technology called Bitcoin where you can do that. And it just kind of blew our minds. And this was before, you know, the price was ridiculously high and people were just buying it because they thought it was an investment. Mm -hmm. We never really bought into that narrative. We always thought, you know, the title of the white paper is pretty clear. It's a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. And the use cases that you have for something like that, in my mind, are, are basically infinite. You could you could come up with all sorts of business models where you're monetizing, you know, a penny per minute or a penny per 10 minutes or whatever, or even a fraction of a cent like what we're doing in the Haste Arcade. So uh, to kind of tie that all together, BarPay still exists today. We've got, uh, I think, about 15,000 accounts at this point doing either, you know, QR code digital menus. We were one of the very first to do that or the whole order and pay system still exists. 
But it was last year, 2021, we're sitting in the office. It was, I think, January 2nd, like maybe still a little bit hungover from New Year's and just kind of like scratching our heads at why this, this Bitcoin that we had originally come across in 2014, 2015, because of its utility, was all of a sudden valued at, you know, 50 or $60,000 when in our mind, you couldn't use it anymore. Like it was now expensive to send it. It took forever for the transactions to happen. Yet people were, you know, losing their minds about this quote unquote digital gold thing. And we just never really understood that. So, so we're just like, okay, what could we actually build, you know, over a weekend that would demonstrate, you know, what we thought one of the original proof points of Bitcoin was, and that's just demonstrating micropayments. And so, just ended up coming up with this really simple, silly, Dan will call it stupid game sometimes, um, mm -hmm. where you'd select, you know, what do I want to play at? One penny, 10 pennies, so a dime, a dollar, 10 bucks, or 100 bucks. You hit play game, the screen on your phone goes completely black, and then at some point in the next two seconds, a little yellow dot would show up. And the whole point of the game was just tap the dot as fast as you can. And so your score was measured in the amount of milliseconds it would take for you to tap this dot. So let's say you play, Interesting. Yeah. you tap it in, you know, 327 milliseconds, you get somewhere on a leaderboard, say you're position number seven, you're the seventh fastest person. I come and play as soon as I hit play game, because of Bitcoin, the original protocol of Bitcoin, um, you would actually get a fraction of the penny that I just spent to play that game, regardless of what my score is. So I hit play game and like ping your wallet instantly receives, you know, a tenth of a cent or a thousandth of a cent or whatever the gameplay level was. And then I would play the game, you know, maybe I got on the leaderboard and then anyone that plays after me for as long as I'm on the leaderboard, you're still on the leaderboard at this point. But anyone that plays after us, we're going to get a fraction of their gameplay until we're no longer on the leaderboard. So we didn't think much of it. We just thought it was a cool way to like demonstrate micropayments to our friends because most of them would come. It's like, I just don't get this Bitcoin thing. And, you know, to be honest, like we didn't either. We didn't understand why this this thing that you couldn't do anything with was $60,000. But there are forks of uh, of Bitcoin, of BTC that we felt had actual utility. And so the actual mm -hmm. one that, that we use is called Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. So BSV is the, the symbol for it. And in essence, that's the one that we built all this on. It's just like, this one still works the way the white paper, you know, described. This one scales to hundreds of millions of transactions and all that stuff. We think we could build this little game on that. We did. It worked. And, you know, that was, in our minds, that was just going to be the end of it. It was just this thing that we were going to, you know, show our friends and, and so be it. But about a week after uh, we put that game out, a VC group, a VC company ended up writing an article where they took our leaderboard payout structure and they applied it to the game Flappy Birds back from like 2014, 2015. Flappy Birds had about 50 million people playing, you know, on a daily basis at its all-time peak. And what this VC company ended up saying was, you know, from our estimates, the developers of Flappy Birds were making probably $50,000 a day from ad revenue, which that's, you know, that's really good money. That's that's great. You got 50 million users making 50,000 bucks a day from ads, fantastic. Uh, the players, obviously, they're not making any money. They're just playing the game. Mm -hmm. They're having fun, probably seeing some ads. But when they plugged in our leaderboard payout structure at the one cent model. So and the way you think about it is you put one penny in and 15 different people get a fraction of that cent. The game developer is one of those people at the one cent level with 50 million people playing. The game developer would have gone from making $50,000 a day in ad revenue to $2.8 million a day in transactional revenue. The person that had the number one spot on the leaderboard would have been making about two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day. So when we read that article, 
we didn't even know that then and we're just like wow you know what this this actually could be something interesting for the gaming industry and that's kind of led us down this road now to building out the full haste arcade okay okay so by the way i'm hearing some audio i think my audio is going through through the system just a heads up on that uh i think i think it stopped but just to talk about this a little bit i mean this so happens a lot in entrepreneurship where you, you're working on a business it's not working it doesn't do a thing whatever you make a thing as a goof and then all of a sudden that thing turns out to be actually really useful and what you're saying is from from what i understand let me parrot it back to you see if i got this is that you created a unique business model that says hey if you're on a leaderboard and you pay to get on that leaderboard by your you basically ante up to get on and you make it to that leaderboard. Anytime anybody else tries to make it on that leaderboard, you get a fraction of what they paid to attempt to get on that leaderboard. So basically all the leaders that are on the leaderboard are getting paid for being the top performers while everybody else is trying to get to the top so that they can get to the top and then earn money the same way passively the other leaders did on the leaderboard. So if I playing Tetris or anything else and I get the top 10 and then I pay a dollar to get inside of there and I get to the top 10, every time someone else tries to pay a dollar to get to the leaderboard, whether they make it or they don't make it, I get a fraction of that dollar for them, for the people that try to get there until somebody kicks me outside of the leaderboard. And then though it's their turn to make it to the top and earn all those, those passive income. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yep. Nailed it. Awesome. Okay. So that's fantastic. That's an awesome. And then you took it and said, okay, well, what happens if we take the, the biggest name, the most used gaming platform, like Flappy Birds, and we applied that, our model to, to, to that really hot industry, which is really part of the things. If you're taking something that, it, uh, one of the challenges of these payment systems, like micro, like uh, crypto games, one of the things I have challenges with is generally the games aren't fun. They kind of suck. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, games aren't great that they make. And so people will buy land or they'll do something else. And it's not a really, it's a fun game. Um, so you took, okay, what, what's a really fun game model that people like to play? People like to make money. And then you combine those two together as this leaderboard mechanism system. So it sounds like that's where you're going with this. Can you can you talk to me about, okay, so you, you saw that there's an opportunity here. What's What were the next steps after that? Yeah. So, and to be clear, like yeah. the games in the arcade right now, yeah, they're they're marginally fun. They're not, you know, <laughs> they're not Grand Theft Auto yet. All right. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, we're the best game developers. No, it, it, it wasn't about that. Um, yeah. It was about just demonstrating the 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 leaderboard payout structure. So, yeah. what we ended up doing, and we've said this from the start, like Dan and I, we're not game developers. Sure. Um, you know, we have a team now. There's there's eight people in total. We do have some, you know, legitimate senior level developers, but even even there, you know, no true game developers. And what we thought would be interesting was, you know, that example we just talked about with Flappy Birds, where a game developer can go from making 50 grand a day to 2.8 million bucks a day, right? Like we think that's going to be attractive to actual talented game developers. So we built the software developer kit that basically allows you as a game developer to come in. You can build your game, make it as awesome as you want. And if it has a leaderboard in it, you can basically take our SDK, our software developer kit, and just plug it into your game. So you don't have to worry about programming or coding any of that. You can just focus on making a great game and then plugging in the SDK that we've provided. And now you're, number one, you're monetized instantly from the very first gameplay. Number two, your customers aren't going to have to see ads. And number three, we're going to give you an audience to already start, you know, playing your game. Because that's one of the things for these casual game developers, you know, very few of them actually make money. Think about it. You build a casual game like a Flappy Bird type thing. 
It's basically got to go viral to get to the point where you can make some significant ad revenue. And even then, you probably have to spend some money to advertise your game to get people playing in the first place. Whereas with us, you're monetized from the very first gameplay. Sure, it's it's a fraction of a cent, but if it's a fun game, you know we have a user base now of over 10,000 people. So you're going to get gameplays right away when your game hits the arcade. And if it's fun and people like it, you'll start seeing some legitimate revenue, you know, within the first couple of weeks of, of actually loading up the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of the initial thought and, and what we wanted to get done first was build the SDK so that more advanced game developers can go ahead and, you know, use this structure. And at this point, I think there's 15 games in the arcade. About eight of them have been submitted from third mm-hmm. parties. So, you know, there is, there's people using the SDK, which is awesome. And then seven we've built in-house. And again, they're the ones that we've built, they're, they're fairly simple. They're not very complex. Sure. The most recent game we released about a week and a half ago is a home run derby. It's actually pretty cool. I think it's a 3D game, and that one, you know, it, it's it's a little bit better than a hyper casual game. But yeah, in general, right now, hyper casual games. I would hope down the road, you know, if this ILP concept catches on, you do things like in Call of Duty, you're playing in online mode, and you can have a leaderboard for headshots or a leaderboard for death kill ratio or for you know mm. knife kills. Anything Question you for can you. apply this to. Because you're just talking about playing with pennies. You know, the idea yeah. is like, this game is really fun. I'll stake a penny or 10 cents. And if I do well this game, I'm going to make some money from it. If not, I'm sure. still going to have fun. You know? So you're talking about SDKs. And as a, I'm a game developer. So, and so what, what application is this on? Is this for Unity, Unreal? What's your software development kit on? Yeah, you, actually, we have games on both. Unity, Unreal. Um, so is your SDK man. for, is there, a, is there a Unity plugin? And is there an Unreal plugin for the SDKs? That okay. I'm not the technical <laughs> one. I'm gonna say yes though, just because I know that we have games that are both Unity and games that are Unreal. Somewhere so, there's a developer freaking out listening to you right now, going, <laughs> "Don't tell them that we don't have that in our system yet. We're not ready." <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're used to me spilling the beans way too early, anyways. Yeah. So, um, so no, we have we have the documentation. It's uh, heystarcade.com/slash/developer. So the documentation is pretty solid. You can definitely go check that out. I'm sure it can answer your questions way better than I could. Or just on Discord, you can talk to our developers. They're there. They, uh, they're they willing to help walk people through it. Sure. Well, that's, I mean, because there's, when you're talking about developers and who they are, because again, I, so I primarily focus on virtual reality. I build virtual reality applications and games and things like that, um, as, well as, this, as well as this podcast. And the reason why I'm asking that is because there's different groups of people. There's the Unity developers, there's Unreal developers, right? And they, they both use game engines to make the games. And primarily, if you're, if you're developing on them, you want to know which one it is, because not, if you're building uh, Unreal developers, it, it, they're, they're too, it's like, do you like, it's like, I build things for gamers. I said, like, well, is it for Sega or is it for Nintendo? Which mm-hmm. one is it? And it's and it's okay if you don't know, but that would be a that would be a good thing to 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 find out what that is and what that looks like, so that we'd actually know, um, you know, what that looks like. I, I'm going on your website here, and I'm and I'm looking up the SDK, so maybe we'll find out here in a minute. But what I like about that, I think it's a really fun leaderboard. I, you know, I have, I have a, I have a, one of my games that I have is a is a kind of a competitive climbing game in VR. So you race across candy and you're the fastest ones, you're on leaderboard, then you get the butt kicked out and you drop off of it. I'd be curious. So primarily what you have though, it's it's web enabled. Is that where is that people play the games? It's it's a they're on the web platform and they download their yeah. own they... web apps right now. I think eventually there will be a native app, but right mm-hmm. now it's web applications. Typically you can play them on mobile or your PC. Got it. Okay. Very cool. And when you say ILP, you're talking about instant leaderboard payouts. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. yep. Got it. Did you coin that phrase or does that, that come from something else? 
To our, no, uh, to our knowledge, we did coin that. There is another ILP that we learned about a couple weeks ago, which it, it's not similar to like gaming, um, but we can say instant leaderboard payout trademark, and we can say ILP gaming trademark, mm. I guess is uh, the way I would put it. Tim, got it. Very cool. And as you've been you know, growing these things, I mean, you, as an entrepreneur, you have to do growth hack kind of things or situations where you got to figure out how do I make progress? What does it look? How do I get, how do I get more awareness? And that's one of the biggest challenges is, is getting, especially when you have a two-sided marketplace, right? You have people that are playing the experiences and you need to get developers to do it. So creating that marketplace can be amazingly beneficial, but it also can be an absolute bitch trying to get that up and going. Uh, what, can you tell me about a story or a time that you've been able to actually get traction? What, what activities or things you've been able to do to actually be able to you know, get traction either on the get it more developer side or to get more player side of things? Yeah, for, for both. Uh, you know, we've we definitely tinkered and tried different things for the developers. We had like a very early on developer competition, which was more to test like the SDK and basically see like how are our developers going to interact with, you know, game developers who are trying to get their game through the finish line with this. Uh, so I think that got like four or five new games in the arcade. It went well. We didn't really have any big hiccups there. So from a game developer standpoint, that's been the biggest thing so far. We're doing other stuff like working with, you know, universities. So USC, uh, UCLA, UC Irvine, there's obviously a huge like gaming, you know, kind of ecosystem out here mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Just getting in touch with those student developers, with the professors, trying to get this concept in front of them uh, and then going to some of their different events and conferences like USC is having one on November 10th that I think we're going to be a part of, which would be pretty cool to get in front of. They said about 800 different student game devs who are, have a specific interest in blockchain. So that, mm. that to me sounds like a pretty cool opportunity. Is it a uh, hackathon? Gamers, game ahead. jam? Is it a game jam? What you're talking about? USC game jam? It's called it scale. It's it's a little bit. Yeah, it's it's not game jam. Got it. Got it. Got it. It's put on by the uh, business and entrepreneurship school. However, the the guy that directs it, he's actually one of one of Hayes investors. Um, he has like his own program within the gaming school. And now he's super into blockchain. So he's like, kind of merging the two together. Uh, but that's called uh -huh. scale. That'll be on November 10th is is what we've been hearing. So there's that. I, and then from the gamers perspective, we have, uh, are you familiar with Built by Gamers? Have you heard of them? They're an esports esports team, no. esports club. No. Basically, we got in touch with them very early on. Uh, they just happened to be, for some reason, interested in the BSV ecosystem as well. And when they saw the arcade, they were like, wow, you know, this seems like a really cool fan engagement tool. Uh, we're built by gamers. We have, you know, teams for Valorant, Fortnite, Call of Duty. And basically, you know, we would love to figure out a way where we could, you know, promote the arcade to you guys. And then obviously, you know, on our end, drive some revenue or, or something like that. So we ended up talking to them. We had a lot of mutual interests. They have a reach of, you know, it's up to like 30 million views a month now amongst their different streamers when they're when they're on Twitch and all that. So basically what we'll do with them is whenever a new game comes out, they'll pick a couple of their streamers that they think have an audience that would, you know, vibe with that game and they'll run like a tournament. So it'll be like, oh, Hayes just released this new game, Monster Bombs. You know, if I'm a streamer and I'm, I'm about to get play Fortnite and my game's loading, I can just say, you can meet me after this stream in the Haste Arcade, use this link, you'll play in, you know, the Melavu uh, Monster Bombs tournament. And then, you know, they'll do their own incentives to get people to play like $250 bonus or you get a, a Built by Gamers hoodie or something like that. So that's been a cool like partnership working with them. They do other really cool stuff like creating content, like they've built videos for us. Mm. And then in return, you know, we have within the games themselves, you have the leaderboard payout mechanism. 
but we can also do things uh, on BSV, like with NFTs within the game. So this last game that I just mentioned, Monster Bombs, it's a home run derby. But what we did leading up to that was we sold physical like Haste Arcade jerseys. Uh, and if you bought one, you got a digital copy NFT with it. And you can mm -hmm. then take that NFT and equip it onto the player within the game. And to mm -hmm. our knowledge, like we haven't seen anybody else that's actually been able to do that. We've seen like you can buy a physical item and get an NFT with it. But we've never seen people actually able to use the NFT as the next step. And I think that's where, you know, you think about like major sports teams. If I go to a Dodger game and I buy a jersey or a limited edition hat in the team store, if I could get an NFT with that, that I could then go and put on my player and MLB the show, like mm -hmm. I think that would be a really, really cool thing to do. And I think that's where it's heading. So basically, you know, doing stuff like that with BBG, more ways for them to engage their fans, more ways for their fans to, to get BBG content and to actually use it and feel like they're a part of the ecosystem. So I feel like those things have been really cool in terms of like onboarding new users. And is the is the NFT is that a part of the Bitcoin or is that uh, what's what's the NFT based on? That is on Bitcoin SV, and okay. that that's you know what's interesting about that is a lot of people think that Bitcoin uh, can't do tokens and can't do NFTs, and that's incorrect. Um, mm. Basically, the original language that Bitcoin was written in uh, by whoever Satoshi is was more of an older script language. And the way that I would equate it would be like, you know, if you read a book now, it would say like, the sun came up. Mm -hmm. A book back in the 1800s would be like, on ye fourth day before like X, Y, and Z, when the sun hath crescent, like, it was kind of written in a language like that, where when Satoshi handed over, you know, the GitHub repository to the developers that ended up taking over it, they're going through the code. And there was a part that they just, they, they literally didn't understand what the code said so they just like slashed it out well that part happened to be what was talking about what became known on ethereum as smart contracts and in the old bitcoin script they called it colored coins which is the same thing it's tokens it's nfts it's smart contracts so on bsv they basically rolled back the different things that the btc developers had implemented over the years uh, and they just restored it to the original protocol of, of bitcoin version one when satoshi first launched it and said, this can scale today past Visa and MasterCard. Uh, it doesn't need any of these things like SegWit. It doesn't need any of this other stuff that's been added onto it. They rolled it back to that. And sure enough, like, hey, there's colored coins. There's the ability to do tokens. So all of our NFTs are on layer one uh, BSV chain. Yeah. Wow. I actually didn't know that either. I was, um, um, that's a, it's very interesting to find out. And yeah, I mean, because in terms of like NFTs inside games that you can actually wear, I mean, that that is people are doing that. I haven't heard it on the on the Bitcoin side of things, but I mean, having those, you know, the NFTs and being able to have them as digital items and goods that you can wear is, is something there. But it's also it's a, it's a good value because there is I mean, in this day and age for the younger generation, they value more so outfits and items and things that that they are are digital goods and actual physical wear. They'd rather have a digital pair of shoes for their avatar than they would actually have real shoes from, from Nike. So um, I, I really like- What I'm saying is they, they can have both now. Yeah, they, yeah. And, and they do. And I think that's what's fascinating. Like imagine going to Starbucks, you know, mm -hmm. and getting a cup of coffee and then getting an NFT that you can go use in Grand Theft Auto and it gives your player like five points of energy. Like that's, that's what it could be. Yeah. Well, it's important. I mean, the and and the thing about when you create those those apparel items, it's a lot of it's around status. So it's mm -hmm. in order to actually have that NFT mean anything is that you want to actually have status. Like if you're inside of a if you're if you have a game and no one's inside that game and you have the the, the best outfit ever, but you have you don't have anybody else to appreciate it. Right. You know, it's a 
it's the, I don't know if you want to say it like that. Yeah, it's the clout. So the clout. Uh, my question for you then, and, and I really like this method because you have two sides of this, this, this mechanism, right? You're talking about the, the heartbeat of building your company. One is game jams or other types of ways that you're, you're, you're inspiring developers to create games that people care about. The other one is you have influencers that are playing the games with tournaments. And so you create more games and then you have the tournaments from the influencers pumping those in. So you have a community of developers building the games. And then you have a community of influencers saying, hey, I have a tournament. Come challenge me, get into my board and see who can beat me. Then people come in and they play and they can compete and they can get NFT items. And if you're already a part of a community that way, then I could I could see how that would be a real good value add. Um, having an NFT a part of whatever streamer or, or people that are putting that together. Um, what other things have you have you done to because I really community building is really critical, especially with NFTs, because. You need to have people care about the community. So what have you done in the areas of, of community building um, to really generate value for these NFTs? Well, we haven't like pumped NFTs, so to speak. We did promote these last ones for the Monster mm -hmm. Bombs game just because mm -hmm. we thought that that was something that had, you know, utility outside of gaming in general. Like that's mm -hmm. something that we would love to demonstrate and call it Major League Baseball and be like, hey, you guys should be doing this with every item in your team stores. Mm. Um, but you know, we have our discord, our Discord's pretty lively. We have some, some characters in there that are, are quite animated at times, yeah. but you know, the majority of, of the NFTs, we're not charging thousands of dollars for these things. We're not, and, and you don't have to on BSV, right? Like the gas fees aren't hundreds of dollars to, to buy and then move one of these things. You can buy these things for 10 cents, 20 cents. And so really, you know, another example I'll give is, is our game called jump. And that's another simple hyper casual game. You're basically bouncing a ball from platform to platform. The platforms are moving. And if you miss one, you know, you fall into oblivion and the game's over. So some of the NFTs that we're selling there is just like a different color jump ball, or the ball has like a fire tail, or the platforms are a different color. And you're selling these things for 50 cents, right? So you're not going to run a huge marketing campaign to hype up the 50 cent platform. At that point, it just becomes, you know, the, the person's actual preference. Like, oh, this is a cool background. It, it looks like futuristic or like, Oh, this is a wilderness themed one. Like, that's cool. Like, I'll spend a dollar to have that. Whereas, you know, with the Monster Bombs one, because the jerseys were real, the shoes that we did were real, the hats were real, there was more hype to that, I would say. And yeah, it was it was the typical, you have your Discord post, you have your Twitter post, you have your email blast to go out. But, you know, it, it's still not in the thousands of dollars. I think the the shoes were the most expensive. They're like these custom Nike ones that I thought were, were pretty sweet. I didn't actually get to buy any. They sold out. But I think those were like maybe 250 bucks. So mm -hmm. even that's not like a huge ask, a huge spend. And there were only 10 of them. So it's not like, you know, we're, we're betting that we're going to make $100,000 off this NFT drop. And I think, you know, that's kind of uh, another just a thing about BSV is you think about micropayments, you know, NFTs don't have to be hundreds and thousands of dollars. If you're a digital creator, you know, you should be able to create a set of NFTs that I can use in Monster Bombs and be able to sell them for five cents a piece. What if it's just like a pair of batting gloves? Like no one's going to pay a hundred dollars for a batting glove NFT. Like mm -hmm. I'll pay maybe 10 cents if they look cool, but that's it. And that again, just ties back into the micropayment capabilities. What actually excites me about the utility of blockchain. It, it, it just further drives home that gig economy, that content creator economy that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And if people want to, so can you walk me through step-by-step? Step? So if someone says, Oh, I want to play a game. I want to go, I want to put 10 cents down and see if I can, I'm, I'm really awesome at tapping things. Right. Cause I mean, there's that, by the way, that is actually an Alzheimer's test to see how yeah. fast you can tap is that neurological test of how fast your hands can move. Um, what's really interesting. So maybe not be the best for the Alzheimer's patients to be, be going in it, but, <laughs> but that quick twitch 
movement with your hands is actually a it's i mean there's a lot of a lot of um casual gamings that you can use that in yeah what but if somebody wants to go up there and say they want you know spend a dollar and, and see if they can make it to the leaderboards like what would they do what would this what is the step-by-step process for that yeah so so first off you can play every game in the arcade for free um mm-hmm. you would have to create a haste account at that point which is just going to be like your email address mm-hmm. uh we're not going to show like advertisements on the site we don't have any banner ads or anything like that the hope is is that you play the games you know try them for free practice as many times as you want see your score and then be like, you know what, if I were to play on the, the 10 cent leaderboard, I'd have a pretty good shot of getting on the leaderboard based on my practice round skills. So at that point, there would be two different ways that you could actually compete for money. Uh, if you think about like eBay back in the day, you had to have a PayPal account to be able to spend money. If we're eBay, PayPal to us is this application called HandCash. And that's a Bitcoin SV wallet. It's pretty sleek. It looks kind of like Venmo. You know, it works the same way. You can save friends. You can send money back and forth. Uh, and within that actual wallet, you can purchase Bitcoin SV, which is the currency that you have to use to play in the arcade. That's going to be changing to, to USDC fairly soon, just mm-hmm. because I think it's a little bit easier for people to understand without the price fluctuations. But in essence, you could have your hand cash wallet. You know, you can quote unquote top up, buy five bucks worth of BSV, and then you just you can also sign into to the arcade with the hand cash wallet, so it has like that authorization. But then you would just choose like your game level. So you pick the game, say you want to play jump. Uh, you pick the level you want to play at. Like I said, practice or nano, which is one cent, micro, 10 cents, macro, a dollar, mega, 10 bucks, high roller, 100 bucks. You choose that game or that level, you hit play, and the game starts. The other option would be, and this is something that is almost done being developed, it's not quite there yet. But if you're not comfortable with a Bitcoin wallet, we will have a way where you can just onboard yourself with a credit or debit card right through the arcade itself. So you'll add like quote unquote haste credits. The difference between the haste credits versus having the actual hand cash wallet is that when you have the wallet, you'll get those payments instantly. Like my phone blows up nonstop to the point where I have to actually like turn off hand cash notifications because it's like every 10 to 20 seconds, I'm getting a buzz like like 0.0001 cents like you just received from this game. So if you like getting that feeling and what we kind of equate that to is, you know, if you post something on Instagram, you start getting notifications anytime somebody likes the photo. It's a similar type of, of you know, positive feedback loop. It, it's kind of the same type of thing where it's like if I haven't gotten a payment in a while, I start to feel like, dang, like, where's my payments? Like, I need to go check the leaderboards. So if you do the uh, the credit system, you're still going to earn. You're just not going to see those payments flowing like instantly into your account. It's basically mm-hmm. just going to be held within the arcade for you. And if you end up downloading a hand cash wallet, that'll all be deposited in your hand cash wallet. If you don't, you can use those payments to play more games within the arcade. So two main ways, if you're not comfortable with either of those, you can just play the games for free. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So what you're doing is you're you're creating almost like a um, an in-between. If someone's not comfortable with the cash, then you say, okay, well then we, we're gonna we're gonna create our our patty bucks, you know, and we're gonna yep. you're gonna hold it right there, and then and then when it ready to ready transaction, whatever the price is of it at that point in time, then you hit transfer, then it transfers those things over. So, so that, okay, okay, that's oh, that makes a lot of sense. And and you know, as you've been doing this, as you've been you know growing this, uh, actually, I have, I have two questions. Let me let me start with this other one first. Is you talked about it going off consistent? Do you have a, an idea of the size, like? How how many people are playing like say your 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 most popular game? So you get an idea of the size of the pool of the market. Yeah, so we've seen so far, and I mean, 
there's a couple a couple hurdles. The Bitcoin mm-hmm. SV community in general is pretty small. Um, yeah. We've got, I mean, last I checked was earlier this week, 12,000 accounts. Last month was 2,400 active users, okay? The month before that was about 1,800 active users. The month before that was about 1,000. So it's been growing at a fairly steady pace, and that's in part for the two things, right? The, the partnership with BBG that we talked about, the Built by Gamers. But then also, we're running you know, paid social media advertisements. We're promoting the arcade the same way that most you know, online companies would promote, through Facebook, through Instagram, through Google Ads, et cetera. And what I find interesting about that is two things. Number one, like I, I don't know many companies, uh, and I'll be honest, I don't know any companies other than the major exchanges, so like a Coinbase or a Binance or you know an NFT drop that have actually promoted you know their product via traditional marketing means to the mainstream. I feel like most applications that are building on blockchain, it's it's just coming soon. And you know I could go into my theories on why that is. But in terms of what we want to do from day one was like, look, the crypto community is, it is what it is. Like it's very tribalistic, you know, people kind of like pick their chain and they stick to it. That's fine. They can go and do that. You know, if some people think this gaming concept in crypto is cool, that's great. But we're more interested in the mainstream gaming population, right? There's almost 3 billion casual gamers in the world. And we think that, you know, if this notion of micropayments catches on, you know, people are going to be interested in this concept we've developed. So we're marketing to the mainstream. And if, if it's crypto people that end up playing, great. But you could be scrolling through Instagram and see an ad right now for Haste Arcade, for one of our games or for the overall leaderboard concept. So that's getting people in. And what I find interesting about that is when I look at our actual analytics and our data on what we're spending, what our, you know, uh, cost per click is, what our cost per actual acquisition of a customer is, and then what those customers go on to spend relative to traditional casual games, like our metrics are insane. You know, uh, the, the the stat that really blows me away, cost per click. Right now, what we're paying is roughly three cents cost per click. The traditional hyper casual game is somewhere between 18 cents to 25 cents based on the articles that I've seen. So I feel like that is significantly cheaper to at least get people to click on it. So the interest in this concept is there. And then when I look at the amount of spend per game, and I think that's because, you know, in our games you have, you can you can spend money to actually play the game. You can spend money on the collectibles, which are the NFTs within the game. You know, there's different avenues for you to spend money, but the average spend of our user is also significantly, it's like 700% higher than what the traditional spend would be on a, a traditional hyper-casual game. So when I see those metrics, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, something about this is is clicking. Something about it is at least intriguing enough to people to get what do you down think about it? and click on an ad uh, at a higher rate than they traditionally would for this type of advertisement. And then they're spending money quicker than on a traditional type of game. And I think that's just a testament to micropayments, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't spend less than 99 cents traditionally on a, on a game that's in the Apple Arcade. You could have like an account where basically you can upload $5 and then maybe, you know, you buy a 10 cent item, mm-hmm. but that kind of goes away from the instant mechanism that, that Bitcoin wallets actually allow. So have you, you could ta- have a database. Have you talked to any of your, uh, have you talked to any of your players to find out why they spend money so quickly? It's the incentive mechanism. It's, it's mm-hmm. the fact that they want to earn from their gameplays. And I mean, mm-hmm. like there's, there's players, it's actually a problem on some aspects mm-hmm. where we call it the power law. There's some players who, play these games so much that they get so good that their scores like they're not going to get beat 
Like there's guys that there's, there's one person in particular, his name's Rainey. He's made thousands of dollars so far in the form of micropayments, just because like he's number one on every leaderboard because he's playing hundreds and hundreds of times every time a game comes out. So he gets really good right when it first comes out, then he plays, gets the top score and basically just collects money for, you know, months after that. So mm -hmm. we think that it's, you know, it's combination. I'm not going to say it's because the games are like extremely fun. And I think that is another testament to this, this instant leaderboard payout mechanism. People are playing these games, you know, consistently, despite how, you know, fun slash like just casual they are, uh, because there is another reason to play them now. It's not just like, oh, the fun from the game wore out, so there's nothing else for me to do. It's like, you know, I put in some time, I got good at this game, and I might not enjoy playing it that much anymore, but I'm earning 20 bucks a week from it. So I'm gonna keep playing, you know, once or twice a week for the next couple months. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. It's that, it's that hope for the opportunity. And that's the thing. It's like there's a there's a huge divide with uh, gamers and crypto mm -hmm. people. And one of the big big divides is don't mess with my fun. Is the gamers kind of terminology? Don't mess with my fun. This is supposed to be a place where you have fun. And it's not about the money, right? And then on the, on the crypto side of things, it's like, hey don't you want to play something that's fun and also make money from it at the same time? And I see these, I see these two worlds colliding, coming, yep. coming together. And it's really, it's really interesting because you're talking about this is like games are, are meant to be play, play, you play for fun. Right. Yep. And it's, but it's that, it's that slide that you talk about like, well, I'm doing this for fun and now I'm, I'm not necessarily having fun, but I'm doing it because I'm making money, which is, it's that, it's that slippery slope between, between yep. work and play. And, and, and it, sometimes it is fun just to win. And sometimes it's just like it's fun to be at the top of the leaderboard and know that nobody can beat you and just to dominate them, even though you may yeah. not have fun. It's just fun to like stay at the top. So um, have you. Yeah, there, there's another aspect, too. It's the whole pay to win, which I know gamers are, are not like like true gamers are not happy about where it's the notion of, you know, I'm not as good at Grand Theft Auto as you are, but I can go yeah. and buy, you know, the best gun you know, mm -hmm. quote unquote, the best NFT yeah, that gives me a sure. power up. And now if we're actually playing for money against each other, I have an advantage just because I could afford a better weapon than you, even though you put in the time. So to be clear, like none of our, none of our collectibles do that. They're purely aesthetic. Go ahead. I totally, so I totally agree with you on that one. And that is absolutely, it's one of the biggest mistakes that crypto gaming companies make is you pay for power. Yeah. Pay for, pay for power is a, is a great way to destroy a community. It's, yep. it's one of the best ways because uh, all these uh, a, a few people pay for power and then nobody else wants to pay because everybody else has rocket launchers and, and you've got right. you've got a thimble running around and because you won't pay you get the crap kicked out of you you're like this is terrible i'm gonna leave right yep. and so i mean that's actually why i think it's really interesting about it is like what you have is this skill-based games have you ever thought about approaching like vegas and talking to them about like what you have as this leaderboard mechanism system because like they're they're trying to get esports in, and you have this kind of leaderboard kind of system going on. Have you ever thought about that at all? We've given it some thought. I think originally we stayed away from from Vegas or casinos in general, just because of all the regulations and all the mm. the cool hoops you have to jump through to get you know actual approval to to launch games like that. Yeah. But down the road, like one hundred percent, what I would what I would love to see, and what we've talked about is like you know I go to Caesar's Palace, I can go play blackjack, I can go play roulette. Or what if I go to the arcade where, you know, like those basketball games where you just shoot baskets into the hoop, you can now gamify those with this leaderboard incentive mechanism. So maybe like Kevin Durant shows up at the casino and instead of playing blackjack, he actually goes and gets like the high score 
on the free throw contest. And it's like a skill-based game. So anybody can compete and has an equal shot. But Kevin Durant, you know, is now able to monetize his skill even further just because like, wow, this casino has an arcade where I can actually like get on leaderboards and make money from subsequent gameplays. So yeah, I mean, we've, we've given that some thought. We haven't really gone down that road quite yet. Um, yeah. But one thing that we are building right now, which does take a page out of the casino book is, you know, you think about online poker, right? Like yeah. poker rooms, all that stuff. Applying that same concept, but to casual games, skill-based games. And that's something that, you know, it addresses the, the quote-unquote power law problem I was talking about earlier, where it's like, you know, I could walk into the arcade and see this guy rainy scores or, you know, 50,000 and the highest I've ever got is 200. It's like, I'm never going to get on that leaderboard. I'm never going to make money. But if I can go play in a tournament style where it's, you know, me versus eight other people at this table in one given round, I have a shot, right? So so that that would be, I think, where we would first go in terms mm. of taking pages out of the casino book. But I mean, eventually, yeah, like if, if we're able to get big enough and can afford to, to you know, play with the regulators and all that stuff, I, I think the casino aspect would definitely be something that we're extremely interested in. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, and, you know, as you as you've been on this path to to grow this company, right? I mean, so you said there's always options, right? The, the challenge with entrepreneurship is that like there's a thousand ways you could go and trying yeah. to stay focused on a path. Uh, what have you hit what I call, you know, threshold guardians, things that kick the crap out of you as you're being an entrepreneur? I mean, a lot of people say, like, oh, it was a, they had a great idea. They built it up and now they're doing well and they have a huge spike in, in users and, and and your growth of users. I don't know like if, if people haven't actually built software or a game or whatever they don't actually understand the the value of what you're talking about your growth of user base going up and up that's a that's a huge deal and i'd love to talk about what are some threshold guardians or things that have kicked your butt along the road of you building up this company it's the power law problem that i've talked about and then it you know getting new users has not been a problem like our, our top of funnel is fantastic getting them to spend money is a big challenge. And mm. the reason we think is like, you know, we don't have the credit system yet, right? So you come to the Haste Arcade, it's this new thing, it's got crypto involved. So you're probably already a little bit skeptical. And then all of a sudden, the first thing we're telling you to do, if you want to actually compete for money is completely leave our application, go to this other thing called Handcash that you've never heard of, give them your credit card and spend money. Like that, objectively I can see like, yeah, that's a challenge. That's something that me as a skeptical person, I'd be like, what the heck am I doing here? So that's definitely, I think like the overall, you know, just crypto in general right now. And and I think a lot of that ties into the false narrative of this digital gold thing. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the market is, is basically falling apart because in my opinion, it was just a big Ponzi scheme. Like if there's no real utility to this thing called BTC, like, Where's the value coming from? I don't believe in the digital gold narrative. I do believe that something that is scarce uh, and has utility could be extremely valuable. And that's why I'm a big fan of this BSV blockchain because I see the utility. I see that it can process more transactions per second at a cheaper cost than Visa. And I see that it's also extremely scarce. There's only 21 million of them like BTC. Um, but I think that you know the problem, the biggest problem we're facing is that people just don't understand like blockchain. They, it, they've been sold it's this one thing that you don't actually use for anything when in reality we're trying to say like no you can use it for really cool things like here's another example of micro payments you know five years from now when we're driving on the freeway we're sitting in our three hours of traffic at la elon has us all in our self-driving cars well if i need to get somewhere and i'm in a hurry i will be able to send you who is in front of me you know five cents ten cents whatever threshold you set two dollars 
to move your car out of the way so that my car can go past you because I got to get somewhere. You're not in as big of a hurry. So now you're making money from things that you're already doing. You're just driving. You're going somewhere. Your car is driving you, whatever. I'm getting value because I'm not spending what seems like an outrageous amount of money and I'm getting to where I need to go faster. So I think once people can wrap their minds around like, hey, blockchain, Bitcoin is not this speculative investment adventure. It's actually a technology that you can use for things like micropayments and give examples like that or like the Haystar Cade leaderboard payouts. I think that's going to help us in terms of, you know, the challenges that we've faced. So mm. there's that there's there's BSV in general. Um, it's not the most well-known blockchain out there for, for various reasons. Uh, but like I said, in terms of, you know, getting people in the door, not that big of a deal. Getting them to actually spend uh, money. That's where the current challenge it's, is. It's it's the it's the friction of the onboarding. Like the if if you have a you know if you're online, it's super easy to click a button, click a button. You're playing a game. It makes sense. But all of a sudden, it's like pull out your credit card and do this. Like too many steps, and then they bounce out of the funnel. Right? There's yep. you don't you don't you don't have your hooks in them enough to you haven't built up enough value prop to to get them to stay and last and all that fun stuff because you'd either have to find people that already have that payment mechanism on their yep. system ready to go, which shrinks your pool drastically. Yep. Um, or you have to have a larger pool of people and then, you know, your drop off is going to be severe because, you know, pulling out that credit card, you know, you might be, uh, who knows what's on, who's on the other side of that, of that payment yep. system. Right. So I can see it though. It makes a lot of sense though, but I mean, that's, but that's a good, you're at least getting people through the top of the funnel. It's just getting them down through the bottom of the system, which is, which yep. is a challenge. So, um, let me ask you, what about, so all of this stuff, what is your, what I, I'd call is like your holy grail. What's your flag in the sand that you're hoping to achieve by, by doing all of this? To be honest, like me personally, yeah. I, I believe that, that the original vision of Bitcoin could do a lot for the world. I, I think mm -hmm. that, you know, fundamentally the way that money works right now with federal reserves, with governments paying interest to federal reserves that gets passed on to us in the form of taxes I just, I, I don't really believe in that system. I think it's fundamentally broken. And what attracted me to Bitcoin was obviously like the business use cases it could have solved for bar pay and the credit card fees. But the more I learned about it, the idea of a peer-to-peer -peer money system, in my opinion, that takes the power out of money. It, 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 money then just goes back to cash. It's just a means of exchange. It's not something that, you know, one body can actually control. Like the Federal Reserve right now can print stuff you know, and charge interest on it as they please. And so my, my end goal, like, obviously I would love for, for Haste Arcade to, to blow up and be, you know, the next Twitch or the next Roblox or something like that. And people are playing all these games and, and making all this money from it. I think that'd be fantastic. But even at a higher level, I just, I would love for it to demonstrate, even if it's to, you know, one person and, and gets them to see like, oh, wow, like I can actually use blockchain for these use cases. What else can I use blockchain for? And if that, if, if we're successful doing that, I would, I, I'll be ecstatic. Like, I, I just, I hope that people adopt blockchain in general, the way that it was originally, you know, Satoshi's vision, as cheesy as that is, like the way that it was mapped out from the guy that created it. I just, I think that enables a better world. And, and again, at a higher level, you know, here in the US, we probably don't care too much about paying a 30 cent processing fee on a credit card transaction. But you've got third world countries where, you know, their entire, you know, income for a week is two or three dollars. They can't afford to pay 30 or 40 or 50 cents for a transaction. So when you read, you know, what Satoshi was talking about in his early blog posts and his early Reddits and all that, 
he's talking about banking the unbanked. He's talking about those people being able to transact, those people being able to do commerce on the internet now. Like the internet opened up the world for everyone to suddenly be communicating and hopefully have the ability to, you know, the content creators sell something. But if you're in one of these countries where the credit card fees of 30 cents is actually, you know, 20, 30, 40% of your year of your weekly income, it, it just doesn't work. So the idea of Bitcoin, you know, is to, to more so allow even people like that to be able to now commerce on the internet and, and actually be able to, you know, make money. I think that is an incredibly powerful thing if it actually gets global adoption. Love that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that we're, uh, maybe not living in LA, you look at the finances and make sense, but third world countries, uh, the dollar or, or the economics can go a lot farther. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunity. That's why this whole gig economy, you know, someone would rather have 50 small jobs and do it at their leisure, uh, than necessarily one nine to five. Um, yep. With what you're trying to do here with, uh, you know, building haste and everything else, what's your, what I call your dragon? Like, what is the thing so difficult to overcome um, that you might need to transform who you are and what you do to get to where you need to go? I think it's, I mean, the older I get, it's, it's probably public perception, you know, mm -hmm. like if you haven't had a successful exit yet, and you're watching your friends, you know, getting married and having kids and, and you're basically still just like grinding away at this, this idea, this belief, this vision that you have, you know, it gets tough. It's, it's like, man, the public perception is, you know, are these guys crazy? Like, are you ever going to get settled down? Don't you want to have a family? That type of stuff. And like, of course the answer is yes. But at the same time, like I'm, you know, at least, at least with myself, like I'm comfortable enough with who I am and what I'm trying to build and achieve. And I think Dan would say the same thing that it's just like, you know, this is what we're passionate about. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this my attention. I'm not going to be half in, half out with this. I want to see it through and whatever that means. If it fails, it fails, but I'm not going to let it fail and be like, oh, you know, maybe if I would have given it more, if I didn't worry about having a nine to five and just doing this in my spare time, you know, because I, I needed to make money so I could live in, a, in an apartment. Like, you know, that that's just not good enough for me. Um, mm. I, I just, I, I think that, I guess my quote unquote dragon would be battling internally the fear of what others would think about, you know, what you're doing and lifestyle choices and all that. And it's funny, like I, I do, I have plenty of friends who are extremely successful, you know, they've got their family, they got kids, it's awesome. And they'll ask me like, are you still doing that bar pay thing? I'm like, yeah, man, we've been around for seven years. We've got like thousands of accounts. It's real. Like, it's not just like a hobby, but you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's that it's, it's overcoming that and, and learning to just accept it. And it's like, look, this is the, the path we chose. And, and here we are. That's so funny. It's, it's funny. Cause people are like, you know, pursue your dreams, go for it. Don't, you know, and at the same time, you're like, you should, you should be safe. You should get, I mean, is yeah. it really going to work out? You know, that it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because people want, you know, especially people that care about you, want you to pursue your dreams and go for it and play big at the same time. They're like, right. is there ever going to make it? I don't know. You might as well just say, just get a, do something normal. Right. And right. Uh, play safe. It's, it's a really weird balance of, uh, of, uh, of situations that we live in. So, um, it's been awesome having you on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about, uh, before you tell them how to get a hold of you? I think we've covered pretty much all of it. I mean, this was awesome. Really enjoyed talking to you. I, I, I really liked, you know, what you had to contribute also. And yeah, I, I just, I hope more people, you know, start thinking down these lines, like, like the gig economy, the creator economy, 
I think if we can move towards that type of world, like in general, people will just have a better quality of life. Like it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating, you know, um, that we live in an environment where you can do that yet people are still choosing to go and make money for someone else. Like that's, that's a very interesting concept to me. I just, I can't understand why someone would bust their ass for 30 years for someone else to benefit more than them. Like I it just, that, that part doesn't make sense to me, but I guess the safety mechanism kind of comes into play there. Yeah. It's a challenge, man. The, uh, you know, it's a, life is a choose your own adventure story, you know? So, um, that's, it's been awesome, man. Yeah. It's, so if, if anybody gets a chance, try out haste. And, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, Joe, how do they do that? Yeah. So, uh, haste is just hastearcade.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, discord at haste arcade. Uh, I'm actually not on most social media. Um, I've, I've kind of tried to avoid Twitter since learning about like the whole crypto Twitter is just a crazy, crazy negative place. Not really my vibe. Um, but yeah, if, if you go on, you know, we do have our Twitter. We're pretty good to get back at the DMS. That's usually Dan that's handling that discord. We've got a bunch of people in there that, that are happy to, to talk. And if you want to actually reach out to me directly, uh, I, I can give my email. It's just Joe at hastearcade.com. So those would be the best ways to do it. Awesome. Like a, like a true, uh, founder of a company, it's just his first name and then insert the, uh, the website that they're attached to. So Joe, thank there you so you much, brother. I appreciate you being on the show. Have a blessed and beautiful day, my friend, and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, Dylan. Really appreciate it. Take care now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.